We all have a yearning for love, but relationships can be confusing and complicated. Dr. Tammy Balashevsky says it all starts from within. It starts with a journey to center. Here's your host for Journey to Center on Empower Radio, Dr. Tammy Balashevsky. Hello, my fabulous friends. Here is a very interesting subject to consider. Have you had the sense that you've been here before? And do you believe in past lives? Have you considered the possibility, ramifications, and what the bigger picture of what reincarnation might mean? I grew up Catholic and no such thing was discussed. In fact, I was told many times we live just once. But as I got older and paid more attention to life on this crazy planet, reincarnation is the only thing that made this reality make sense for me. Today, it seems like a very basic notion, and most of the people I know seem to believe in the concept. But there are some that say there's no proof, but perhaps there is some evidence. There have been cases where children recall concrete, detailed memories past lives. These stories are so compelling and hard to ignore. Today, we're going to have a conversation with someone who has done her own bit of research and wrote a book that has been described as a relentless page turner and a profound meditation on the meaning of life. I read this book from cover to cover, and I agree completely with this assessment. I'm happy to be having this conversation, learning more, and introducing her to you. We are here with Sharon Guskin, the author of the debut novel, The Forgetting Time. Sharon has been a fellow at Yaddo, Virginia Center for the Creative Arts, Blue Mountain Center, and Ragdale. She has degrees from Yale University and the Columbia University School of the Arts. In addition to being an author, Sharon has worked as a writer and producer of the documentary films, including Stolen and On Meditation. So Sharon, thank you so much for being here today. I'm so excited to have this conversation with you. Thank you so much for having me. I'm thrilled to be talking to you. So let me say your last name again, Sharon Guskin. Is that correct? That's correct. Yeah, Guskin. That's important. We want people to be able to find you and get a copy <laughs> of The Forgetting Time. So let's just start with this. Tell me a little bit about why you wrote this book, why this subject matter is compelling to you, because I know this took a lot of work on your part. Yes, it, it did. Um, I, it's interesting. I think that I've always been kind of curious about, you know, what happens when you die. I mean, who isn't, basically. Um, and I wasn't ever really freaked out about death. So uh, at one point when my kids were small, actually, I decided I should be a hospice volunteer um, just because it seemed like a good way to, you know, be of service and, since I wasn't so freaked out about this thing. And, and spending time with people who were facing imminent death um, kind of woke me up in a, in a completely different way. And I just started, you know, to get pretty, um, <laughs> I would say curious is an understatement, almost obsessed with, I should know more about what happens when you die. I should think about it more. How come I haven't really thought about it deeply um, or read more? You know, and I just suddenly, you know, was sort of on fire with this question and at around the same time, my stepmother was clearing out her garage, and she picked up this book, and she handed it to me and said, oh, you might be interested in this. 
And it was a book called Old Souls, a nonfiction book um, by a Washington Post reporter, actually, um, who focused on a man named Dr. Ian Stevenson, a real man who was a psychiatrist and the head of his department at University of Virginia. And then he became obsessed with these cases of very young children who gave a lot of concrete details about previous lifetimes, and not just, you know, oh, you know, I had a lifetime where I was a farmer. They would say, you know, where they had lived, how they had died, what their house looked like, what the names of their family members were. I mean, they would give all of these statements, and Dr. Stevenson and his colleagues would sort of collect all of these statements and sort of interview everyone around uh, the child to, to, to confirm these statements, and then they would go and try to figure out well, who is this person this kid seems to remember being with all these these specific things we know about them? And in about 3,000 cases, they were able to find a person, often many hours away in a village far away, who fit, who fit the statements. And then they would take the young child to the village and see what can the child identify. So often they'd bring these kids there and they would they would identify people as former relatives or places that they seemed to know and they would have all this information that they couldn't really have known in any other way. Um, and so I don't these cases blew my mind. I just thought they were extraordinary. I'd never heard anything like it and I and I just thought uh, my novelist brain started percolating, and I thought, gosh, you know, what would I do if I had a kid who was longing to be, you know, with a previous family and who wanted another mother, you know, and wanted to go home to a different lifetime, you know? And so from that, I just started coming up with this story about a, a single mom in Brooklyn whose, whose four-year-old son keeps saying he wants his other mother. He, he wants to go back to this other life. So um, it's been a bit of a journey, <laughs> this process, but it's really based on this, this true research that is quite staggering, actually. Yeah, it really is. It's, it's very exciting. And, and I know that there are... Um like you said, 3,000 documented cases in Virginia, but it seems, and, and your book seems to um, reiterate this, that it, this occurs more frequently in Eastern cultures, um, in Asian countries. Why do you think that might be? Um, well, I, I think it makes a lot of sense if we think about it, that if you're in a, in a culture where reincarnation is just thought of as a fact of life, and, you're, and your child starts saying things like, oh, remember when I lived in that village and I did this and I did that? Well, you just sort of take it more seriously. Um, and so it's just speculated that, of course, you know, a lot, in a lot of these cultures, um, people really would follow up with the kids a lot more than we would do here. Um, for us, you know, if our kids suddenly says, oh, remember when, you know, we lived in China and we took care of the babies and blah, blah, blah. We just sort of say, oh, that's nice, honey. <laughs> you know, boy, she yeah, has an active yeah. imagination. And that's sort of how we tend to handle it. Um, I will say, though, since I started writing about this and, and sort of talking to people about my novel and having the book out in the world, more and more people from, from our country have come to me and told me stories. And there's a lot of them out there. And some of them are pretty extraordinary. You know, one person said, oh, my, my son from the time he could talk 
would say he fought in World War II and he had five kids, and he's always maintained this, you know. Mm. Um, so that's been really interesting for me to see how many stories there really are out there of these, this sort of thing. Well, and it's interesting what you say makes a lot of sense. And I know you, you talk about how they seem to start to forget around, is it like age four or five? Yeah, it's like five or six. Around the time they, they start school in earnest, they start mm-hmm. to forget. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I would imagine if, if uh, you know, we have young children and we ask them questions or we're, we don't poo-poo what they say, then uh, more information could come up that that could indicate you know past experiences so that that is fascinating that is interesting because i i do believe that you know i i said some things to my mom about believing in you know magic and having a horse or a unicorn and she's like yeah no (laughs) (laughs) no 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 Yeah, and often it'll just be like, a, a, you know, it's not always necessarily some big, long thing that's going to lead to identifying, you know, mm-hmm. the person they were before, but it could just be a little comment in the bath. Like, children apparently say, um, oh, remember when, some kids will say, oh, remember when I was your grandma, and I used to give you, give you baths all the time, and stuff like that, that, you yeah, know. Yeah, little things. Mm-hmm. <laughs> pretty crazy. Yeah. So, yeah, that's really fun. And that's it's super interesting to me. So what I really um, loved about your book, it, it is um, nonfiction, but you wove in. I mean, it is uh, a novel and it's fiction, but you wove in nonfiction aspects, which I thought was made it very compelling and very interesting. So tell me uh, a little bit about why you did this. Sure. Yes, there are pieces from a book by Dr. Jim Tucker, who who was a colleague of Dr. Ian Stevenson, and he wrote a book called um, uh, "Life Before Life." <laughs> yeah, yes. and uh, yes. and uh, pieces of that book are, are throughout. And you know, I was talking with my editor as I was in the process of sort of reworking and reworking, and and um, we both kind of felt, and and eventually I felt very strongly that you know I just. I just um, wanted people to know this wasn't just a fantasy, you know, because it is a novel. It's a made-up story, but it's not just something I made up, you know, off the top of my head. And I and I thought, you know, I think people are, are will be interested in reading about the real stories. And I liked the kind of sort of friction that having them in there g- gives you. I think, you know, I I'm I, the ha- I'm, I'm happiest about people seem to say some people. People seem to say, oh, that book really made me think, you know, it really caused me to question things. It really sort of, it it just leads people to sort of ask some questions of themselves of what they think happens when they die or or what it might mean. And I think having the the real cases mixed in with the story uh, sort of kind of induces that a little more because you can't just completely dismiss it. Although, of course, uh, it's, ultimately it's a novel and I'm a novelist and, I, and I'm not really telling anybody what to believe. Um, so anyone can dismiss anything they want, but it does just create a, it creates an atmosphere which lends itself to kind of one exploring one's own thoughts about this if, if a person, if a reader wants to. Yeah, yeah, like it can sneak it in the side door a little bit and expand your mind without really trying to like uh, bring this material to the reader like head on. Right. It's kind of, I mean, like it's, it's, as I said, it's, it's a, some people just take the book to the beach and they read it and they enjoy it and they don't think about it twice. And that's great too, because it's really whatever you make of it. Um, but it, but it is hopefully like an engaging experience, an emotional experience of a novel 
but that can that can hopefully kind of cause a person to just sort of open their mind to the possibility, no matter how they decide in the end about it. And I think that's always useful. Like, I think there's no downside to keeping your mind open to the possibility of reincarnation for the course of a book, even if, even if somebody decides at the end, you know what, I, I, can't, I can't go there. Um, I think it's just good for us to sort of cultivate more open minds in general. No, I, I completely agree with you, and it certainly is um, thought-provoking, and I would imagine gives a lot of people solace. It's like, oh, well, it's kind of a relief to know that the soul goes on. You know, I, I would think that that would uh, really uh, lend comfort to a lot of people that have maybe some concerns about what happens when we die, especially if they've lost somebody close to them. I think that's such a, um, a wonderful gift that you give your readers through this process. Yeah, that, that's been actually the most emotional part for me, was I have gotten some letters from people who lost uh, loved ones, family members, um, children, and uh, it's pretty, you know, I, I'm pretty humbled by the fact that the book helped, helped them a little bit, um, and of course very glad if it did, um, but um, I think that you know, again, it's like a book is, is sort of, it, it, it is whatever it is for you, right? It doesn't exist in one way as opposed to another way. So for someone, it's a beach read, and for someone else, it gives them comfort after a devastating loss. And, and it's kind of amazing to me that, <laughs> that that it does all these different things, you know, and somebody else probably puts it down and says, oh, it's not for me. <laughs> yeah, that that is cool, though, as an author, that, that is... Um... It can be very uh, gratifying and satisfying to know that it touches people and helps them. That's so, amazing. Think, it's yeah. amazing. I'm just kind of staggered by that. Yeah, that's awesome. I write self-help books, so that was certainly my primary intention. So, um, But yours, I mean, it's entertaining and it helps people. So I, I think it's amazing. Like I said, I don't read every book I get from cover to cover, but this one you know, my husband's like, really, you're going to go read again? I'm like, I have to. It's so good. <laughs> <laughs> so interesting. I'm really just like drawn into this story. I got to know what happens next. <laughs> oh, thank you. Yeah, I think intention is, is really important, actually, when you're making something, whether it's nonfiction or fiction. And, and my intention with this was really that people might want to know about these stories, about these cases, and think about these things. So yes. it makes it very easy to talk about because it's not like, oh, go read this book because I wrote it. It's not like that at all. It's sort of like maybe it'll be useful for you to read this or interesting for you in some way. Yes, you know? yes. yes, absolutely. I really hear your intention there, and um, I think you're right on. So I'm a little interested in the title. I thought this was fascinating. I had to do some research after I read it. Um, well, let's just start with that. The forgetting time. What does that mean? What does that mean to you? It has a number of meanings. I mean, as you mentioned, uh, most of the children forget their, their past life memories by the time they're, you know, five or six. So it refers to that. It, there's also a character who's inspired by the real Dr. Stevenson. Um, uh, but I gave him this sort of malady of a, of a semantic aphasia where he's losing language. So he's, he's forgetting words, basically. Um, so it kind of refers to him as well. Um, and then also, you know, I think if we're, you know, if we did live before, if we did have previous lifetimes, all of us, 
um, then at least most of us seem to have forgotten them <laughs> pretty much completely. And so you could say that we're all in a forgetting time in a way. And I think that's interesting to think about, certainly for me, to think about, oh, I've had all, you know, so, somebody once said to me, we, you know, maybe we've done it all. We've done so many things mm-hmm. and we forgot all of it, you know. And uh, it's just an interesting way to think of this particular life, you know. Yeah, it is. And uh, I am a past life regressionist myself. So I've I've explored this topic a little bit um, just for myself and with clients. And um, they're like, why don't I remember this in my conscious waking time? And I, I say it's because we're born with veils over our eyes. It could be pretty distracting. You know, we're not going to be really focused in the here and now if we have this like expansive view of all these things we've been up to. And you wrote about this in your book and I hadn't heard it before. Uh, drinking from the river of forgetfulness. Is it called Lethe? L-E-T-H-E? Uh, Lethe, I think, is the Greek. Lethe? Uh, um, the Greek. Uh-huh. Uh, I hope that's correct. I don't, I don't speak <laughs> ancient Greek, but L-E-T-H-E, Lethe, yes. I believe, um, is this sort of, yeah, it's a, in, within Greek mythology. It, it makes you... So, yeah, maybe... Maybe some of the souls forgot to go uh, have a drink at that, that, that lake before they came in. And so they have this more expanded view and do remember. And I was like, no, I think I drank. I think I drank at the lake. <laughs> yeah, me too, pretty much. But, but you know, and I, I do think, as you say, you know, it is the most important thing is what we're doing now. So it could sure. be really distracting, especially yes. once you open the door. It's like, oh, what did I do before? What was I last time? You know, um, you have to kind of, be a little bit careful about that. Yes, I, I agree. You know, a lot of people say they want to remember their past lives. And I say, you know, it's cool. And it, it can, it really has for me made sense of certain um, confusing relationships and dynamics in my life. But you don't want to be consumed with it because everything you need is really available to you here and now. So it, it can exactly. be interesting to explore. You just don't want to get consumed with it. I, I totally agree with you. Um, so I'd like to know um, a little bit about your beliefs and has um, getting involved in this subject matter and writing this book, has it changed them at all? Um, well, yes. <laughs> I guess it's a short <laughs> answer. Um, basically, you know, as I said, I was curious um, when I start, stumbled across this research. And then, you know, as a novelist, I kind of went at a certain point to, oh, well, I want to write something based on this. This would be a good story. This would be interesting. And so I kind of started plugging away at doing the research and writing, thinking I was working on a novel and that that's what I was doing. And it wasn't until I was kind of pretty deep in and I had sort of a steeping myself in these cases um, and spending time. I got to know Dr. Dr. Tucker at University of Virginia, who's just the most sort of rational, conscientious person um, you'll ever meet, like the least crackpotty guy ever, you know. And I'm like, well, this guy seems really legit, and he's saying these things. And I suddenly had to ask myself, well, or eventually had to ask myself, well, do I believe this myself, you know? Like, fine, it's great for the novel, but, but what do I think? Is this something that I think is what happens? And eventually I had to, to, to say, I guess I do. And I, I think it's the most likely explanation. These people are credible. This research is astounding. Um, and eventually it just, it just made more sense to me than any other explanation. And then once I started thinking that way, well, of course, it just kind of opens up a whole path for you because you start to think, well, what does that mean about how I'm spending this life? 
and what does that mean about my actions in this life and how I'm using my mind in this life and, and am I cultivating the qualities I want to have because, you know, if this stuff is going to carry over, you know, if, if this isn't the end and it might carry over, I want to, I want to have, I want to have the best possible, you know, um, mind or, or however you're going to talk, talk about it, um, that, that goes on. So it just sort of led me into kind of my own spiritual path, kind of, uh, surprisingly to me, and, and along the way, I did. I had a past life regression as kind of background research, even though Dr. Stevenson and Dr. Tucker don't do any hypnosis or work with adults, really. Um, but I thought, okay, I'll just check it out, and ended up having kind of a wonderful <laughs> experience there. And so it all kind of was a, you know, at the I, I started out just wanting to write a novel, and I ended up having a completely different view of of what reality is, and one that's been really um pretty joyful for me actually so um so i have no complaints <laughs> as far as oh, that's any so of funny can. that's so funny to me because it, it is it's sort of like this whole um profound subject matter it, it kind of you sneak it in the side door with your readers but it's kind of what happened to you as well <laughs> Exactly. It's so interesting. <laughs> I mean, at one point I thought, oh, my character, he just wants to go home. He's trying to get to a, ba- a past life in which he was happier. And I started to think, well, maybe I had a whole, you know, more spiritual life in a previous life that I'm trying to get back to through all this. So it, it did. It, it, it sort of has a lot of a big ripple effect in terms of um, how my own experience came out of this this completely different experience that I was putting together for readers. Yes. And I'm, I'm so excited that you said yes to a show with us again next week, because there's more I want to talk about in regards to this subject matter. It's kind of exciting for me and kind of mind blowing and, and, uh, it, uh, it, it, it makes me vibrate. So I'm super excited that we're going to be able to continue the conversation. It's my favorite thing to talk about, actually. So, um, Sharon, why don't you do a shout out and let people know where they can find you, get a copy of your book, connect with you, learn more. Sure. It's, um, well, the book, again, is called The Forgetting Time, uh, and I have a website, theforgettingtime.com, and you can buy the novel. You know, it's now available in paperback as well as you can download it for, for Kindle or Nook, and, and uh, hardcover is available as well. Just basically, as they say, wherever books are sold, you can, you can get it any of those places from your local independent bookstore to online places. Um, so uh, it's out there. And uh, my, my email address is on my website. Uh, it's Sharon at SharonGuskin.com, but you can find it through my website. And I'm happy to hear from anyone. And I always love hearing stories. So if you have a story you'd like to share with me, um, please send me an email. There's nothing I like better than hearing all the extraordinary things that happened uh, <laughs> to all the people out there who, who, when they, who share it with me when they hear about this these cases so yeah it makes it really interesting to hear people's personal experiences when they uh experience your work i think that's such a fun part of the process the writing part can be challenging but uh hearing uh once it's burdened out in the world and people respond to it that's the really exciting fun part of it so yes yes if you you read her book be in touch she wants to hear from you 
Yeah, I love connecting with readers, it's, you know, because otherwise you're kind of sitting, you're alone writing, but then the <laughs> idea that the people are touched and get back to yes. you is just amazing. So Yeah, you're just sitting there alone. It's like, hmm. <laughs> so I agree with you. I always talk about, you know, being in relationship. That's the most satisfying part of the process for me is about creating that connection. So it sounds like that's an important aspect um, of the process for you as well. So um, we just have a couple of minutes here, um, but I would like to know, Sharon, what's next for you? Are you going to do some more novels, some more writing, documentaries? What's up for you? Um, right now, I'm working on another book, another novel, um, which is different, but it, it, and I can't get into the plot of it too much, but it also just um, has to do with how these kind of extraordinary moments open up within our ordinary lives, and I think I'm really interested in that. In, in again, like so many people, um, maybe they go through moment by moment, and it all seems kind of ordinary and, and what you'd expect, but then there's just this one, like, uh, instance, you know, where something happens that just changes your perception of what's really going on here. Um, and, you know, it could be something as simple as you think about some old friend that you haven't seen in, in 15 years, and then they call you, you know, right after that. Or, um, in this case of the sex novel, just sort of um, more um, shattering kinds of experiences. But but I think um, it's my mind's certainly been opened up to that, the sort of extraordinary mm -hmm. moments that we all experience. And so I hope to kind of keep plugging away and this sort of material uh, oh, through yes. the next book. Well, I'm, I'm interested in getting a copy of that myself. I love your style. I love your heart. I love your mind. I, I just, um, I love everything about your writing. I think um, it's a remarkable book and I look forward to anything else that you come up with. Oh my gosh, it's a good thing that we're on the radio because I'm blushing away. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, shucks. <laughs> you know, it's funny. It, it sometimes can be hard to receive. We want it, but then it shows up and it's like, what do I do with it? So I always just say, breathe, relax, receive. It's and that's very wise. It's very wise advice. Thank you. <clears throat> yeah, it's, it's the foundation for prosperity, being able to receive graciously. And it can be uncomfortable, but we stretch our container and the more can show up. And it's kind of a fun process once you get into it. So Sharon, I adore you completely. I'm so excited about having you back. And to my listeners, thank you for being part of the conversation and being a part of my life. And just like we were saying, we want to hear from you. This is about relatedness. This is about relation. It's how we celebrate. It's how we heal. It's how we become whole. So be in touch with me, Tammy B, PhD, spelled with an I. And uh, yeah, I'd love to hear from you. So know you're in our heart and prayers. God bless you. Onward and upward. Bye for now. Mm-hmm.